Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach and president of Dynamic Leader Incorporated. Today, I have a super special guest. He's uh, he, he bounces. Uh, when I say that, I mean he's resilient. He's been in all kinds of fields. He's uh, He's been an executive in the finance arena and um, found a few things out about that. And, uh, well, I'm going to let him tell his story. The key here is that we're going to be talking about how failure and rejection can really become the foundations for amazing success. And so without going further into that, uh, from me, I'm going to introduce Chad Hufford. Chad, welcome uh, to One Sharp Sword. Dr. P, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure being here. It is a pleasure having you. So uh, you didn't wake up one day and go, I'm going to be a great failure. <laughs> Boy, do I look forward to being rejected. So let's talk about um, let's talk about your climb and then the decline and where you are now. Can we do that? Like, where'd you start out? Um, I know you're I'm uh, you're in Alaska as I speak with you. Yes. And so um where, did you start in Alaska? Like did you grow up there? Yeah, born and raised in in Anchorage, Alaska. Um my wife is as well, so both uh Alaska born kids uh didn't meet until our 20s. Uh, had a lot of uh you know, mutual friends and acquaintances. It's it's a small community up here, but uh, as you kind of alluded to already, I have a very indirect path to where I am today. So right now, I uh, I run a wealth management firm, Veritas Wealth Management. We do financial planning, primarily investment management and retirement planning, uh, helping people make sure they don't run out of money or purpose in retirement. But I have a degree in biochemistry. I have a background in athletic training and a very, very heavy um, coaching background as well. And as sure as we'll get into the iterations of how those things blended together. And I kind of bumped around a little bit. I've been doing what I'm doing now for uh, 16 years. So uh, I founded this back in 2007. But as you as you allude to, a very indirect path to get here. It's uh, th- that's the good news, actually. Um, by having you on and others with stories of wow, it was really roundabout. It actually gives permission to people to recognize that the path to success is never straight. It's never you know here go from A to B. It's usually you know A and then. <laughs> You wander a bit, and um, you know you you said a great statement about you help them, you help people now with their financial security, but also to continue to live into their purpose. And you know you've got to be in your purpose as you do this. So uh, that's really, to my mind, that's the definition of success. Like I get to live into my purpose every single day awesome part of the wandering is finding that purpose so 
So you started this, um, but before that, you were <laughs> uh, biochemistry, finance, athletics, somewhere in the middle. Um, yes. Talk about that. Like, how'd you get sure. into biochem and what'd you do with that? Sure. Do you think you wanted to be an MD? So before, before I jump into that, I just want to say something real quick about this indirect path, because yeah. you, you touched on something that's so crucial, especially when, you, when it talks about failure and setbacks. And we, I think a lot of people have two unhealthy views of optimism. So there's one unhealthy view that it's this, that optimism is just sticking your head in the sand. It's ignoring everything. And you just, you you smell poop and pretend it's roses, right? Um, and then there's the other side where, you know, so that's kind of the, skept the, the skeptics. Then yeah. the other side who thinks, no, you should think optimism is every day gets better and, and every step uh, brings you higher and, and, it's, and it's great and wonderful. And, and I think in a lot of ways, optimism, we want it to be like a staircase, Dr. P. We want it to be every step brings us a little higher. But that's not what optimism, true optimism looks like in life. Life is bumpy, like you said, it's an indirect path. And we're here in Alaska where there's mountains all around us. So I think a healthy view of our life is more like a mountain range. There's going to be valleys. There's going to be storms. And sometimes you have to, to cross over a valley before you can keep climbing. And a lot of folks get stuck in that valley and think, well, I must be on the completely wrong path or something like that. But I think optimism isn't every single day gets better, but knowing that something will be better in the future, but there's going to be some trials and tribulations in the meantime. I think that's huge. The idea that every day could be better, but every day won't necessarily be better. Yet there is a better in the future. And there's not always a timeline for that. Exactly. In fact, one of the things that I've learned on my path is that when you set a really hard and fast timeline to your success, you're actually living in a lack mentality. It's not abundant. It's be and you then therefore cut off other possibilities for yourself. This must happen by this day means you're missing out. Right. Yes. And, and and if you live your life from I'm missing out, you are missing out. Uh, and, and it's and you set yourself up for that. So allowing yourself the opportunity to learn, to grow, to uh, learn some more, you know. Well, and that that mindset right there was so critical to my pathway because it it's important to have goals. I think it's important for people to have a destination that they're working towards. It keeps us on track, but we also need to have those goals fluid. And, you know, my wife and I, we built a house a few years ago. And even though we had a blueprint that was guiding us towards a very specific design, that design evolved and our blueprint then was revised throughout the process. So even though we had a very specific set of instructions based on a measurable objective, both of those things were fluid through the process. And to, to your earlier question, Dr. P, about what are you doing running a financial firm with, 
with a biochemistry degree, I mean, it kind of lends itself that same, I mean, it's the same idea. So I did, I went to school to be a, a hotshot surgeon. That's what I thought my calling was. And I I'm fascinated with medicine. I still nerd out on it today, but I got my degree in biochemistry. I was building up my resume for, for medical school. I was getting medical school professors to write me letters of recommendation. Like everything was just lining up perfect. And then I met the woman who is now my wife. And I realized she did not want a surgeon as much as she wanted a husband. And she wanted somebody, uh, she wanted a partner, somebody to do life with. She wanted a family. Uh, she did not have the same upbringing I did. And she stability was super important because she didn't have that growing up. So I, I knew myself well enough to know that I would struggle balancing the life of a surgeon and a family life. And there's people out there that do a tremendous job balancing that. Um, but it, we, we work with a lot of surgeons who do. I just know my own personality and I doubted my ability to be an excellent husband and father and be an excellent surgeon. So I took some time off. I was rethinking some things. And I had to hold that goal loosely. And I also had to look at the pathway that got me there and not think of it as if I if I don't become a surgeon, is that all is that all sunk cost? And really looking at how can I leverage those experiences to what I'm trying to build towards the future. And I spent some time doing some athletic training, uh, worked with some Olympic athletes, working with uh, some military. I worked with Airborne, helping those guys to prepare for deployment. Um, not, not wanting to do that long-term, but it was something that I could monetize fairly quickly and something I had a strong background in. And it was this idea of coaching people. And then I had this in the background in biochemistry, which essentially is just taking a lot of different variables and making sense of them. And I realized those, those two elements fit themselves very, very well into financial planning, where you're taking a wide range of variables, a lot of moving parts and pieces, and trying to get them to fit into one meaningful puzzle, one, one meaningful picture. And, but also coaching people to execute that meaningful plan along the way. Because you can give somebody a great plan, Dr. B, just like you can write somebody a diet on January 1st by Valentine's Day. They're eating chocolates and cake like everybody else. So coaching people, getting people to identify what they want in the long term and make the necessary sacrifices in the short term. I was able to bring the elements of both of those backgrounds into the world of finance. And, and to your point about failure, um, helping people overcome those setbacks because setbacks, they're not, they're not just a part of the process. They're a critical part of success. That's great. So this is huge because um, it has to do with direction. It has to do with, you know, I'm my I mentioned at the opening of the show show that I am the president of Dynamic Leader. And one of the brands of Dynamic Leader is exponential success. And you don't get exponential success just by wishing it. You take steps towards it. It's sort of like an athlete doesn't become an athlete by saying, okay, you know, I did I did 10 reps, so I should be strong enough now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I I ran the track once. That's probably good. I should be fast. Enter me. Um, you know, it takes 
that takes building and building and building. And then at some point, you've got this foundation from which you actually leap. You know, I look at, uh, I use the analogy of boiling water, right? Water at 211 degrees Fahrenheit is really hot. And it took a degree by degree to get there. Water at 212 is boiling. And the difference is only one degree, but it's at the right place that that one degree is added. So, um, you know, for you, it's a matter of you capture where do people want to be? What have they done to this point? So you're you're actually doing a skill set assessment. What mm-hmm. have they done to this point, right? And what got them here? And then um, you're coaching on what do they need for the next steps based on what they said they want. We're in the same boat doing uh, or kind of, we you know, we coach similarly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just coach different people, which is awesome. So, um, so talk about how, you know, failure and rejection, like rejection is such a strong word. Where did that come from? Well, I, I spent most of my childhood living in fear of failure and fear of failure drove me much, much more than the potential of success. And I often wouldn't do things unless I knew that I had very high probability of, of success or that I would, that I would win. And I, by the time I was a teenager, I tried very few new things. I didn't want to to fail. I didn't want to fall on my face, and is there? I didn't want the embarrassment. Um, I was a little bit of that fixed mindset of of feeling like that failure could could then personify me, um, and that's what was really interesting about biochemistry because that was a huge step, even getting into that. Because it's a very hard discipline, but what I what I realized in biochemistry is, as you know, with your bat, you run thousands and thousands of experiments, and you have a hypothesis, you have an outcome that you're hoping for and that you expect, but you're only holding that loosely because when you're running an experiment what you're looking for is what can you learn from the process? And yeah, you have an outcome that you're hoping for, but you're not married to the outcome as much as you are diving in and you're a student of the process. And what I realized is the only difference between what we call failure and an experiment is your willingness to learn from it going in. And and it took me a long time to wrap my head around that. But had I not had that mindset shift, I would not be in this business because I started my financial planning firm in 2007, Dr. P, when the world was melting down to the the financial meltdown. um, What a great time to start a financial biz right before the big crash. That's awesome. Two weeks before the, the, the peak of the market, or sorry, two weeks after the peak of the market is when I got licensed. So we were two weeks in to the biggest financial crash since the Great Depression. I had a degree in biochemistry, no formal financial background, a daughter on the way, and a worldwide recession. Terrible timing. And what I was essentially doing was jumping out of the bushes or jumping out of the bushes at people and saying, hey, Dr. P, you don't know me, you've never met me, but how would you like to entrust your family's financial future? To me, you can imagine 
I met with mostly rejection for a long, long time. And it felt very personal. And I had to learn to depersonalize that. But it also had to do is measure success differently. And when I started, I measured success by the amount of appointments I was able to make, by the amount of clients I was able to take on. I had to start measuring success by inputs and not by outcomes. And what I mean by that is the input was how many people could I talk to? How many, how many people could I introduce myself to and explain my value and offer my services? The outcome was whether they made an appointment or whether they became a client. But I really couldn't control that piece. I could only control how many people was I going to start a conversation with. So I started measuring inputs, not outcomes. Now, obviously, those two were connected. The input leveraged the outcome, but I focused on what I could control instead of focusing what I could not control. So success became how many people can I reach out to in a day? How many people can I jump out of the bushes at and offer my value and share my story? And it was completely freeing because the rejection still stung, but it didn't feel like failure anymore. In fact, I realized that every quote unquote failure, every no, was one step closer to the next yes. That's so important. All right, so I want to go over some things that I wrote down. Uh, just a, a few key things. The willingness to learn, right? Mm -hmm. Exploration, ex experimentation. When, uh, you know, my doctorate's in clinical psychology, which meant that I had to do a research, uh, a, a, an original research piece and go before a panel and defend it. And research needs to be what they call a null hypothesis, right? It's yes. it's like, yeah, I have hopes for how this turns out. I have expectations for how this turns out. And if it turns out different, that's going to be amazing, right? It's it's uh, what are we going to learn from it? And as it turned out, <clears throat> my dissertation specifically, I was going in looking at one thing and came out with a uh, basis for additional research because the the outcome was so different from what I thought. And and that's a that's a story for another program. The point is there's a willingness to learn. And from there it's like that's not failure. That's like that's exciting. My uh my research panel was so um dissertation panel they were so excited by it. By that time I was like so done writing it's like I'll never write again. Um, five books later, et cetera. Anyway, um, so failure is about is about learning. It's not failure per se. Uh, willingness to learn. I think one of the things that you said that I really want to underscore, um, because you know the audience is listening to this, and as you listen to this or as you see this on on YouTube as this is put out, I want you to be thinking about rejection and that feeling of rejection. And how it feels so personal. And what Chad has said is that you get to a place of depersonalizing the rejection so that it's not about you. It's not you. And I want to make sure that that is heard and seen and taken in. Rejection is not about a rejection of you as a human. It's about a rejection of the idea that you are presenting or that is being received by the other person. They don't like the idea or they, that it's not a fit for them at this time. It doesn't mean it's not a fit for them at additional, at a, at a later time. 
So it's not about you as a human, unless you're being really slimy about the way you're approaching. <laughs> it's like, here's an idea. Do you, do, does this resonate for you? Yes. And if the idea doesn't resonate, okay. Right. It's okay. And that way, like, I really want to make sure that our, every audience member gets this permission to be more of themselves because you won't resonate with everybody and your ideas won't resonate with everybody. And I've had my share of, of haters and I'm sure there's more. And if it's not right, keep scrolling. If it is right, maybe I've sparked something for you. And that's, that's the whole thing for you. And then um, success is measured. You say by your input, not by outcomes. Ultimately it's outcomes because that's success. That said, what you run, funny enough, in a financial uh, uh, organization, your own, is a numbers game, right? Mm -hmm. Enough enough reach out gives you a percentage of conversions, right? So, exactly. right, enough reach out gives you a percentage of conversions. So, if you're not converting to enough yeses, there has to be either a different approach to your reach out and or a different number of reach outs. So just wanted to kind of throw all that out there as a summary to where we are at this point in our conversation. Well, and, and what you said is, is critical because a lot of times we, we, we try to maneuver or manipulate that input to try to shortcut to that outcome instead of just putting more into that, that input. So for example, you know, if, if you're trying to lose 10 pounds, you can't necessarily exactly control how soon you lose 10 pounds. There's a lot of variables there. And, but we can control the input and the input could, could be, I'm going to wake up every morning and go to the gym for 20 minutes. or I'm going to run for 20 minutes, or I'm going to not eat after 6 PM or something like that. But you get people that they're trying to figure out, well, if there's a fancier treadmill or a better exercise bike or something like that, they try to maneuver the input. Well, if you go to the gym for, for five days a week instead of two, and we just ramp up the input, you're going to have a better outcome. Is it going to be equal on a day-to-day, one-to-one ratio? No. But over time, if you ramp up the input, you'll, you're going to have more of the outcome that you're looking for. That's great. And then, you know, from being in athletics, um, what's sustainable and not? Because it's like, hey, I could go to the gym, you know, six hours a day, I would get the I would get an outcome, you know, and I, I would I would get this outcome that's amazing within about 10 days. If I went to a gym six hours a day, and was seriously working my behind off, I'd have a easily within 10 days, I'd have a, an amazing outcome for me. That's not a, sustain, a sustainable schedule. Um, uh, you know, there was a, there were many TV shows that showed like, Hey, you know, Gideon, we're going to come to our camp. We're going to right. Um, and a lot of people have bounced back from that quote unquote ideal space. So on the path of success, part of what, you have learned, I'm certain, is what's a sustainable habit? What is it that you can do for yourself, for your family, for your legacy at this point, every single day? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
what you touched on is something I talk about a lot, sustainability over optimization. And too often people are, are overly focused on optimizing a process before they standardize it. And it could be in relationships, it could be in health, it can be in a business, it could be building wealth. All these things are long-term processes. And to your point about the gym, if I haven't worked out in 20 years and I'm going to start going in and doing Navy SEAL workouts, it's not going to last very long. I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to be injured. It's not sustainable. Whereas somebody that goes and says, I haven't worked out in 20 years, I'm going to walk on a treadmill for 10 minutes, or I'm going to walk down to the end of the block. Is that going to make a huge impact on their health? No, but it starts creating a habit they can build from. It's sustainable. So if somebody comes into our office and we we look at their long-term goals and we figure, okay, they need to save an extra $1,000 a month to, in order to hit their, their goals. And this kind of goes back to they're not always rejecting you or they're often not, they're rejecting your idea. Building wealth is hard. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of perseverance, a lot of grit. Not everybody is willing to sign up for that. And, and you can't necessarily help people who don't want to be helped. So little side note, but. No, I so think it's say, important. You know, I've, I've worked with uh, high earners and the goal was to save between 40 and $60,000 a year. And it's like, well, what does it take to do that? Right. Well, oh my gosh, I've never saved that much in a given year. So, you know, when you're saying, can you save, $1,000 a month, what you're saying is, can you save $250 a day, uh, um, a week, which breaks down to, you know, less than, <laughs> I mean, you know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah, so. yeah. And it's, and it's, yeah, can you break it down into bite-sized pieces that don't make you choke, but also it's starting slow enough that you can you can build up that endurance. Somebody who's never run before, they're not going to start out training for a marathon by running 26 miles. They might start with three miles or walking two miles or whatever. Yeah. You start with where you are and you start creating those good habits. Because the problem with human beings, when we start out of the blocks too fast, using a sprinting metaphor, yep. we don't slow down, we quit. So when the, when the diet is too hard to stick to, we don't scale it back, we quit. When the workouts are making us too sore, we don't scale it back, we quit. When saving $1,000 a month is too intense, we don't cut back to 500 and do that for a while and build a new baseline, we quit. So coming up with a plan that is sustainable is much better than optimal. Because there's another side to this, the evil twin is not burnout, it's that people never start because they're trying to figure out what, what is the perfect spouse? What is the perfect business plan? What is the perfect diet? What is the perfect exercise routine? What's the perfect mutual fund? Perfect doesn't exist. Perfect rides in a chariot being run by unicorns. Like it's just not out there. So if we're waiting our whole life on the sidelines for perfect to show up, we're going to be there for a while. But if we can take good and execute that consistently and relentlessly over months and years, that's where success comes from. You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, 
without giving up the success that got you here. It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event. www.ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. I think one of the points that you're making is is that perfect is actually very individual, right? That what's perfect for you is not going to be perfect for me. And that's the good news. That's not the bad news. The good news is it's absolutely individual. What you do for yourself. I think it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this. We don't scale back. We quit. You know, can I not save 33 or $34 a day? And that's how I get to my $1,000 a month. Um, and so it's like, I guess not. Well, okay. You know, versus, well, what if I save 15 instead of 30, you know, 33, 34, what if I save $10 a day? Um, you know, and I got to $300 instead of a thousand dollars. Is that possible? Yeah. You know what? Little steps, uh, could be possible. Um, when I was first many, many, many years ago, when I was first starting out in, in my own savings, I would go through the money in my pocket and I would take $10 and I'd put it in a jar. And at the end of the month, it's like, wow, I have 300 bucks. Like, what am I going to do with this? This is extra money. It's like, right. And so to learn to put that into savings and to help that grow. And, and I mean, but that was many years ago and it does create a habit. Like you, what's, what is it that you have that you're willing to, and I think here's a key word that we haven't used yet. What is it that you have that you're willing to leverage to the next step? And I think that that's going to be, you know, important part of success is leveraging what you have. You have different resources. And again, back to individuals, you know, we each have different resources available to us. What you just said ties back into something you mentioned earlier in this conversation. We talked about sometimes we set these goals that are relatively arbitrary and we're we're so fixed on that. We're so rigid that it can actually be a detriment. So to that same, so this all ties in Dr. P. So think about this person who said, I'm going to save a thousand dollars a month. That might be an arbitrary goal. Maybe it's not, maybe it's tied towards to a specific financial planning formula, but let's just say a thousand dollars a month. And we do it for a couple of months and then we save 700 and then we save eight and then we save 600. And what do we tell ourselves? We tell ourselves, you're a failure. Your goal was a thousand. You did 600, 700, you failed. And the little voice in our head says, you should probably quit. And the problem is because we set this arbitrary goal, we didn't give ourselves any flexibility, any buffer. We're, we're having these feelings of being a failure. Instead of slowing down, we stop. And what people forget, and this sounds so simple and easy, but the movies play out in our heads when the emotional centers of our brain takes over. And we, we forget, however momentarily, that it, saving 600 a month is not as good as saving 1,000, but it's a lot better than zero. Yeah. And we, yeah. Sometimes, we sometimes let, let perfect be the enemy of done because yes. we can't execute the plan perfectly. We don't do it at all. And I think a lot of it comes back to those self-proclaimed messages of failure because we've set a standard and 
that might be arbitrary. And, it, and it's, we try to remind people, we're talking about building financial freedom. We're not trying to get there as fast as possible. To your word about sustainability, we're trying to get there in a sustainable way. If it takes an extra year or two, but we increase our chances of success because we we took a plan that somebody could commit to, that's way better than trying to get there faster and risking not getting there at all. So good. I uh, There are two things I want to bring up. I love that, that we've taken this to a really conversational place. I really appreciate that, Chad. Um, two things. One, in terms of goals, I think in terms of bronze, silver, gold, platinum. And mm-hmm. gold is the goal that we set. Gold is the goal that we set. And if we can say, you know, I'm going for the gold and I'm serious about going for the gold. And then it's like, I didn't make it, but I came in bronze. You know, it's like, I came in, I didn't come in even silver. I I came in bronze, but I still came in. It's like, that's awesome. Right. That's awesome. And so to give yourself some grace. And I think that's a huge piece of this is give yourself some grace. You, you're, you're at a place where you've, you're doing something you haven't done before. So go for the gold. And some people are so good at it that, yeah, they, they achieve the platinum level. Congratulations. That's awesome. Super achievers. Fantastic. Is that sustainable? Let's hope so. Right. Let's create the conditions where it is. Well, just as you were saying that, I was thinking of a very specific example. I love that. I've never hold that, had that idea of goal setting with, with those four different levels. You, you set it at gold, gold, silver, bronze. But there's a different level, too, that, man, if everything's going well, you can push even a little further, and it gives some flexibility around that. I was just thinking about one of the gals on my team. She's sitting right out here. Um, she ran her first half marathon like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And and her time wasn't as good as she had, had hoped. And she's she's very driven, very focused. And we we're just talking about that. And but I had a reminder. I was like, Kyla, you finished. Yeah. Even if you finished a few minutes slower, you finished. That that's the most important. So if, if somebody's trying to build a business and it and it takes seven years when they should have, when they think it should have taken five, you still got there. If you're trying to build financial freedom and it takes you until you're 61 instead of 59. Most people never get there. You should be elated. You got there. Even if it was two years late at 61 and, and it's, it's oftentimes in life, it's the pathway we're on more than the position. If that makes sense, it's being on the right path, head the right direction rather than where we are at any moment in time. But when we're in the midst of those storms of life, it can be difficult to remember that. Well, I think, I think that's huge, you know, just like starting when I, I've in this body, but many years ago, um, I've run three half marathons and, um, the first one was, let's see how I do. Yeah. Let's just see how I do. You know, I know what my average is based on the training I was doing to get there. And, you know, a half marathon is 13.2 miles and, um, so I was training, you know, nine miles a day, 10 miles a day, right before the half marathon, I was, I was past 13 miles, you know, a day, I do that on weekends, took a good portion of my, my day to, you know, get out, get, <laughs> get running, come back, clean up, relax, ice, you know, all that stuff. Um, and that was dedication to that as, as a thing, right? Um, I'm not fast. 
but I'm not slow. I'm not the slowest, you know, me and 22,000 of my, of my closest friends. Um, really the key was, did I finish? Right. That was, I came back with a medal. I crossed the finish line. Um, I, you know, I'm not out for a seven minute plus mile. You know, it's not, that's not me. I'm, I am not that at all. Um, but for me, I found my success and, and that's, that's huge. The word I was looking for when I lost it, the, the concept I wanted to bring back, we have to also look at environmental conditions. And, and so the word that I wanted to bring to us is compound effect, right? The compounding mm-hmm. that, you know, when you start, if you've put aside a little bit of money, you let the market help you compound that money. Now, as a disclaimer, by the way, I'm not in the financial services area. I'm not offering, nor is this program offering financial advice. That said, as a concept, look at the way compounding works. It works for you. If you've got debt, it works against you. And so what can you do to help build your space from where you are now so that you can be further ahead at this time tomorrow or tomorrow's tomorrow or tomorrow's tomorrow tomorrow right so you know the next the next day the next week the next year the next decade um so the compound effect is real and um i don't know if that sparks anything for you so here's here's the metaphor that we give on that um we try to remind people that building wealth long-term sustainable wealth is like planting an orchard. Number one, it doesn't grow overnight. It takes a lot of patience. Number two, you can't dig it up all the time. You you can't try to speed up the process by moving your trees around because somebody on the news says, plant your trees over here in this kind of dirt, it'll grow faster. And then you move them over there and then they say, oh, never mind, the dirt's better over here and you move it around again. But if you let those trees grow and it bears fruit, and then those those pieces of fruit, they follow the ground, a new baby tree is plant. And now you have this idea of compounding where this entire orchard starts to grow, but it starts really small. You're starting just one corner, planting a few trees. And then next paycheck, you plant a few more. The next paycheck, you plant a few more. And it takes a long time. But once you get to that point where that compounding, you see it start to snowball, right? And it's kind of that hockey stick curve. That's where it gets really exciting. But it takes a long time to get to that point. And in this in this metaphor, you can use it for a skill set, you know, where you're you're it's, it's kind of like the idea of, of the water boiling, right? You start water at 100 degrees, you keep on adding heat to it, nothing seems to change. All of a sudden it boils. But you were inputting energy into that process the entire time. And then to the outside world, all of a sudden something takes off right. and to the outside world, all of a sudden your orchard blooms, but you've been planting and nurturing that orchard for 20 years. And now you're an overnight success. Right. That's like fame. That's like, um, it's like everything. So yes. yeah, start at a hundred degrees, start at, start at room temperature and, and grow and grow to 11, maybe 212, boom, you're boiling. Um, and, and it's like, where's that steam coming from? Dang, you know, uh, and it's great. Like, you know, and you do talk about it taking a long time. I do. I want to bounce that back to you because long is relative. 
right? That it's like a long time. It could be, you know, when I'm talking with my with my kids who are adults at this point, you know, I talk with them about start now. And, you know, it it will seem like no time at all before your savings are actually going to be actually at a, at a pretty good place. So, and that's because, um, a long time, you know, it's like life goes, um, time goes right. You we're we're on this path. And, um, and so the trick is, can you, it's back to consistency. Can you be yes. consistent and, and allow that to happen alongside of the activities that you're doing that keep you happy. Right. So it's not like, oh, I've got to, you know, yes, you're planting an orchard, but you're not toiling in the orchard. You're not, you're not the one, you don't have to, to worry about all of it. It's kind of like a set it and forget it kind of orchard, as long as you're watering it and fertilizing it and, you know, pulling the weeds every so often, it's going to be okay. Well, and that's what, people forget sometimes is if they can, especially when it comes to saving for the future, you can automate that. You can have money taken out of your 401k and it hurts a little bit at the beginning, but pretty soon it becomes a habit. And that's, that's the beauty of automating good habits is because you don't have to wrestle with that decision anymore. And, and then it doesn't seem like it's taking quite as long because it's just a part you're, you're not waking up every day saying, okay, how am I going to find that money to to plant in my orchard, it just it comes out of your 401k. It's automated. It's a habit. It becomes part of your normal routine, and it takes some of that decision fatigue out of it. But there's a lot of folks who worry about things they don't need to, and they try to speed up the process. And you're right. I think long long is relative, but it's it's people that are successful aren't necessarily doing things different from everybody else. They're just doing consistently what a lot of people are doing occasionally. And if if somebody's waking up every two weeks and saying, should I fund my retirement account? They have to make that decision 26 times a year, every single year. If somebody starts a new job and saying like, I'm going to put 15% of my income into my 401k, they make that decision once. And now they're doing consistently what most people are only doing occasionally. I'm glad you use that number. It's the number that I kind of personally have advised my kids. Uh, <laughs> I'm not offering advice to anybody else. It's just that's a personal anecdote that, uh, you know, 15% seems to be the number at which that's pre-tax, right? So again, it's it's like your what you're taxed on goes down. So what you get to keep goes up and then you know, that compounds because sometimes there's free money from your employer and you don't want to let that go. Like someone's offering you free money. You want to be able to say thank you. Um, uh, and that's cool. Let me, let me ask you this. You don't have to name names. Just think about, I want, uh, think about your biggest success, like in, in the people you've coached, the people in your uh, financial uh, guidance, under your guidance. And, um, it's like the, you know, somebody came in, they were confused. They, uh, they learned all the magic that you have to offer them. And now what? Right. So, and this is Anchorage, Alaska, right? So the economy is very different there than the rest of 
the country in the United States and the rest of the world really as well. So um, just kind of keep that in mind for my listeners as you're, as you're listening to the story that Anchorage is not like this booming place. It's a, it's, it's a place that it's got a stable economy, but it's not like, it's not like a big, um, San Francisco, big metropolitan area. Yeah. Yeah. So just to put that in context, Alaska has less than one person per every square mile. Less than one person per every square mile. Um, the story I'm going to tell you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> quite a few. Quite a few. We actually, um, I haven't seen one in a while, but we live in a place that's a little bit outside of, of Anchorage, so we get to see them quite often. But um, one of one of one of my favorite stories is it actually it takes place up in North Pole. Um, there is a North Pole, Alaska, just south yes, of Fairbanks. And there this was in 2009. So we're in the throes of the recession. And I had I was sitting down with a couple who had experienced uh they lost their son-in-law in a tragic car accident, um, had experienced several huge setbacks. And he was he was working in the oil field. So you're talking about an incredibly volatile industry in an incredibly volatile time. And I was, we were talking about doing hard things and this idea about, about sacrificing a little in the present so you could have something much more in, in the future. But it was giving up that temporary comfort for long-term security. And we sat down and we were talking about these different things and he was afraid to invest. He'd been burned in the past. What he had done was more gambling and speculating, but somebody told him it was investing and he didn't want to have anything to do with it. We had a few conversations. We're sitting there though. We're in his shop. This is February 14th, Valentine's day, 2009, three weeks before the market bottomed. It was the most turbulent, violent time during that, that whole market crash and they took a huge chunk of cash and wrote a check right then and there. And we put it in growth-oriented investments, which are inherently volatile. And he did a very difficult thing at an incredibly opportune time, but it was extremely scary. And what we looking back on it now, he's like, oh my goodness, can we do that? We were geniuses. I'm like, we weren't geniuses. We did what was necessary under very difficult circumstances. That's why it paid off so well. And it wasn't that there wasn't fear, but it was it was stepping forward towards that long-term vision in spite of fear and with a plan and with a process. And that's what made him so successful. This is awesome. So um, a couple of things. You use the word sacrifice. I like to think in terms of you have to let go of the things that are holding you back. And that could be old habits. So I don't think in terms of sacrifice, I think in terms of cutting loose the things that aren't letting me soar. You know, if I'm, if I'm being held in place by an anchor, I want to cut loose from that anchor, right? I want to be able to, to go and I can't do that. So I'm going to cut loose of the things that are holding me back. And um, you know, when I think of the brighter picture, that's not a sacrifice to let that go. So is it, and it's funny because you're talking about sacrificing comfort. We are often comfortable in our misery. It's mm-hmm. what we know. 
darn it, this is the way it goes. And those people are so lucky and all that stuff. You can be one of those lucky people if you stop thinking that way. And thinking that way is part of your comfort. And so that's the challenge that I give to my clients. Stop it. That's lack thinking. Let go of that mm-hmm. and think about how abundant the world is, right? So uh, the universe really to to be in this space of what's available to you, pretty much everything. And then you talk in terms of, um, you know, the, it was quite volatile, quite volatile. It was a, a volatile investment. I want you to, I want my audience to think in terms of what is your level of tolerance for risk? Because when you speak with a financial advisor, they're going to ask you risk tolerance. Are you okay in terms of a market going up and going down and going up and going down? And if you've been following crypto for any time, um, you know, you're making profit. Oh, it's good. It's oh, it's like a beautiful roller coaster. And okay, right? So it's sort of like, and the market itself goes up and down and up and down, always on a climb, at least, you know, until there's a, a reset, um, which we've come through. So um, and I'm not in a position to predict what's next. I'm just saying, what's your level of risk tolerance? And speak with a professional like Chad, a uh, financial advisor that can guide you. So I'm I'm throwing all that out there as concepts. And um, I don't know what you want to do with that, Chad. Okay. Well, a couple of things on there. Volatility and risk are different things. And oftentimes we use them synonymously. There's no such thing as no risk. In, in investing, in this life, in this world, there's no such thing as no risk. But... My industry has taught people that volatility means risk. Now, you can be invested in an individual stock or in cryptocurrency. It can be very volatile and it can be risky. But volatility doesn't necessarily mean risk. Volatility is temporary ambiguity. And when you look at broadly diversified mutual funds or an index like the S&P 500, which is what people typically think of when they say stock market, it is very volatile. But held on for long enough periods of time, it has always paid off. So one of the things that people can remember is the declines are temporary, the advance is permanent if you are properly diversified. You don't want just one big tree in your orchard, you want a lot of small ones. So the storms will come, the declines are temporary, the advance is permanent. The other thing I would say and the other side of that is this idea of comfort. Uh, we think of stable as safe. And when we take these risk tolerance questionnaires, what they're asking us is not what we need for the future. It's what makes us comfortable. And like we talked about at the beginning of this, comfort is often the antithesis of what we need to do to get to where we want to be. It's often the antithesis of success. So just think about this in terms of quote unquote conservative or safe investments, which would, you know, people would refer to those as fixed income, bonds. CDs, fixed annuities, things like that. Fixed income in a rising cost world is anything but safe. It's a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. So people people need to have a certain tolerance, not just for volatility, but ambiguity. And that goes way further than just investing. That's in life in general. And it's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about failure, rejection. It's a tolerance for ambiguity. I love that. What's your tolerance for ambiguity? Um, and it's 
it's not that it's what's your tolerance for the things that annoy you. It's what's your tolerance for not knowing at all. You don't have to know it all in order to know where you're headed. Um, you also said comfort is the antithesis of success. And one of the things I, I will often ask my, uh, the people that I coach, um, you know, do you know what happens if you don't step out of your comfort zone? Right. That's a quiz. Do you know what happens if you don't step out of your comfort zone? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Nothing happens. Right. You don't get to advance. Nothing happens if you don't step out of your comfort zone. You've got to let go of what got you here in order to move to that next level. That's how you're going to get there. And so it means learning new skills. It learns being more consistent. It learned, It means gathering different people around you that are at the next higher level, somebody that can guide you, someone you can learn from. So um, this has been a super fast hour. Uh, so I would, I'd love to know, Chad, how do people find you and, um, you know, what else should they know about you? All that stuff. Well, the best place to find us is our website. It's veritasalaska.com. And we do serve folks all over the United States and even internationally, but we were founded here in Alaska. So it's still in our website, veritasalaska.com. And if people have questions or they want to reach out with something more specific than just uh, browsing, they can email ask, A-S-K, ask at veritasalaska.com. And especially if there's something very specific, like, hey, I don't know if I'm in the right investments or I don't have a plan. I, I'm, I'm wandering aimlessly in the investing world. I need a strategy connecting where I am to where I want to be. They can absolutely reach out. We'll get them the help and resources they need. Okay. Any any way that they can contact you directly? Th- those are the the best ways to, the best to get ways. a hold of me. Okay. And on and on LinkedIn as well. Uh, if my personal LinkedIn page, uh, I'm pretty active on that. Okay. And and that is I, your your name, or is that Ver- Veritas it's, Alaska? It's my name. It's Chad Hufford. If you just if you just type in Chad Hufford Veritas, it pops right up. Very good. All right. I can get you the I can get you the links for the show notes too. No, I've, I'll I'll find them and make it happen. It's all good. That's all awesome. Right. Very good. You know, I've had different financial advisors on over the over the years, and uh, everyone comes with kind of a different perspective. I've really appreciated yours. That the kind of the path isn't always straight. The, in fact, it's never a, a, a direct line that uh, you've got to be able to, you know, really just tolerate the uncertainty all the while having a certainty about your your goal, like where you're headed. That's uncertainty in the in the current circumstance. And um, and really to let go of what's holding you back in order to get to your next level, all of that is what's feeding uh feeding together this path of success so absolutely very good chad thanks for being here with me thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure it it has been a pleasure chad hufford has been my guest veritasalaska.com uh ask veritas at oh ask veritas ask at veritasalaska.com to uh reach out to him and or his team And I just so appreciate the conversation. This is one sharp sword cutting through to what matters most.
I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Exponential Success Coach and President of Dynamic Leader, Inc. We will see you here next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Breakthrough Success Coach and your Powerful Presence Mentor.